Well, welcome once again. I'm your host, Dr. David Martin, for these podcasts that we call Positive Leadership. And on the last podcast, we were talking about emotional intelligence and self-awareness. We talked about the need for a leader to have a strong emotional self-awareness, especially when it comes to being self-aware of how their emotions affect others in the workplace. Closely tied to this need for self-awareness is the need to control your emotions, especially when it comes to your interactions with your subordinates, your peers, and even your bosses. And I would say especially your bosses. It does little good to be self-aware of your emotions if you have little or no control over them. Yet, modern organizational life seems to be a hotbed of almost unbridled rage, bullying within the workplace, and even life in general. One doesn't have to spend very much time on social media or the internet at all, or watch local or national news to get a sense of this overflow of constant anger all the time. It's overwhelming. So where does this uncontrolled anger come from? It starts with a lack of self-awareness and generations of people growing up with this false sense of entitlement. Especially the last couple of generations, they've been bombarded by well-meaning but very misguided pairing coupled with this constant messaging about how you can have it all. And then adding insult to injury are all these social media websites where people brag about their perfect lives. And as a result, we've developed a culture where the best job someone could be or the best job someone would want as a young person would be to be a YouTube influencer. This culture sets people up for failure because it suggests, and not so subtly, that anyone can be like the Kardashians. Well, spoiler alert, no, you cannot. But students come out of high school and college with a warped sense of reality and often fall into deep depression when they realize that reality is most often not living like the Kardashians. The result? These young people often become bitter because they realize that reality is not as the picture that they saw on YouTube or any other social media platform for that matter. Their expectations have been set way too high, and when reality bites and they come crashing to earth, these unmet expectations often lead to some depression, anger, violent fits of road rage, and on and on. How often have you heard someone say, how dare they do that to me, or I deserve better, or life's unfair, or even I'll show them. And when these seething emotions finally reach the surface, people often have difficulty exercising self-control because they feel so self-entitled. These prideful, me-centered expectations, when met with the often disappointing dose of real reality, often result in a loss of self-control. Okay, so what's the antidote? How do we exercise a healthy degree of self-control. It starts with a sense of where we really are in life. I'd like to start this conversation by giving you a personal example from my own early childhood. Being raised in a single-parent home, 
by a mother who was living paycheck to paycheck, I grew up with kind of low expectations. I knew life was unfair, but rather than complain about it, I just learned to accept it. As a result, I grew up pretty humbly, and I learned not to expect anything from life. But the good side of that was while circumstances were trying at times, I never developed this sense of entitlement. I never felt that I was entitled to anything. And I was always very astonished and pleased whenever I received a gift or something special. And when something extraordinary happened to me, I always felt overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude. So, self-control starts with realistic expectations of who we are and where we are. And it begins with being self-aware. Oh, there's that good old self-awareness again. Being self-aware about the things that you control in life and the things you can't. Now, in ages past, one of the earliest Stoics, Epictetus, wrote this. The chief task in life is simply this, to identify and separate matters so that I can clearly tell myself which are externals not under my control and which have to do with the choices that I actually control. Where then do I look for good and evil? Not to uncontrollable externals, but within myself, to the choices that are my own. Now we see this idea surfacing more recently in the form of what has been called the Serenity Prayer, a prayer first coined by the American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, and it's become popularly used in many aspects today. It reads like this, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Self-control, then, begins with us accepting our position in life and learning how to distinguish events in our life beyond our control and those that we can control. We cannot necessarily control things that happen to or around us. Those are externals, not under our control. But we certainly can learn how to control our internals. That is, how to control our attitude and respond to events that are beyond our control. What this means is learning how to avoid an emotional hijack. Psychologists have long been aware of and have studied this fight-or-flight phenomena. While there are some different theories about specifically why this occurs, it's commonly recognized that it does happen. When faced with a crisis or dangerous situation, humans tend to become emotionally hijacked and let their emotions take over. The more sensory overload we experience, the more that part of the brain that concerts itself with pure emotion takes over. And as a result, we either lash out at the danger or freeze up in fear or panic and try to flee. Self-control is learning how to control that emotional hijack and respond rationally instead of emotionally. It means taking time to recognize those things that can cause an emotional hijack in yourself and training your mind to react rationally instead of emotionally. You know, pilots, ship captains, and first responders of all types go through some intense training to train the brain to resist being emotional hijacked by this flight or fight emotional response. 
Now, we may never experience such drastic crises, such as a potential air crash or an extreme weather disaster or a situation where we have to make a decision on whether to pull our gun out in just a matter of just tenths of seconds. No, we may never, ever come across that kind of crisis situation. But we still need to be aware of those things that could cause us to lose our cool, lose our self-control. As I said in a much earlier podcast, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that can cause you to lose the respect of your subordinates quicker than an uncontrolled outburst of anger, which shows that you've lost your self-control. So, if it's so important, what are some practical ways that you can improve your self-control? It starts with a bit of self-awareness. As I said before, self-awareness and self-control are very intertwined. If you ever hope to become a great leader, you have to stop your entitlement thinking. Stop thinking like the world owes you something. The universe is neutral in this regard. It doesn't owe you anything, or it doesn't expect anything from you. Likewise, no one owes you a job, and life in general can seem very unfair. But like a famous radio announcer once said, and that's just the way it is. As a leader, your self-control also starts with an other-centered focus. It will help if you focus on your subordinates and even the leaders above you. When you step into a leadership role, you need to recognize that you can no longer afford to take that attitude that you are the center of the universe. You gave that up when you decided to become a leader. You must learn calming techniques. You have to become so familiar with them that you can exercise them on demand. Now, one of the common techniques that I regularly use is an exercise that I call leaning slowly into the day. I allow myself an extra hour or so in the morning to slowly, calmly wake up, praying and meditating on the events of the day ahead, and thinking about how I will handle them. It helps me face the day calmly no matter what gets thrown my way. Another calming technique that I often use is deep breathing. When faced with a crisis, I will forcefully calm myself by forcing myself to take several deep breaths before facing the situation. This forceful, slow breathing exercise keeps my brain from being emotionally hijacked and gives me time, however short, to allow my rational thinking to take over. Another great technique that generally helps in self-control is asking, what is the absolute worst thing that can happen here? Why? Often because when we look at a problem calmly and rationally and ask ourselves what's the worst that can happen, the size and the scope of the problem become much more manageable. Finally, you can increase your ability to engage in self-control by taking some preventative steps. Make sure You always operate on a good night's sleep. Oh, gosh, that's so important. Get regular exercise. Control your diet. Each one of these things is helpful by itself. But when you combine all three, they really increase your ability to control your emotions. As I've said before, in this podcast and earlier podcasts, nothing, and I do mean nothing, will strip you of your right to be an authentic or inspirational leadership 
Nothing will strip it quicker than your loss of self-control. One of the hallmarks of great leaders is their ability to stay cool, calm, and collected, even in the worst circumstances when the rest of the world seems to be coming apart all around them. Even in the worst crisis, when everyone else is in a panic, a leader who keeps their cool, keeps their self-control, will inspire others to follow and achieve great things. Leading during times of great crisis requires a great deal of self-control. Improving our self-control is a vital part of improving our emotional intelligence. And I've said before, it's vital for good leadership. Now, in our next episode, I'll continue exploring this topic of improving our emotional intelligence in the workplace by discussing some options for improving our own internal motivation. I hope you will continue to listen. These discussions about improving our emotional intelligence are critical to developing good leadership. I'm Dr. Dave Martin, your host for Positive Leadership. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again real soon.